Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. The Prima Deer, session number 554. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have an amazing guest, but before we jump in and say hello to Sam, I want to talk about the MCAT Minute brought to you by Blueprint MCAT. Did you know it is the middle of November? MCAT season is right around the corner starting in January, and that means you need to register. Go register as soon as you can over at the AAMC website, the MCAT website, but make sure you have a plan in place to maximize your score with your test date. Go over to blueprintmcat.com today, sign up for their free account, get their free study planner tool, put in the date that you think you can take the test and your availability, hours per week kind of stuff, days that you know you can't study, know that you can't take tests, all that fun stuff. And it will create a custom plan just for you that is adjustable as you go on, as days kind of get in the way, as life gets in the way, as you get sick or something happens, you can adjust your plan as you go, making sure that you stay on track for your actual test date. I know it's scary sometimes to set that test date in stone by registering, but you need to go do it so you get a location that's convenient for you so you don't have to travel and stay at a hotel and all that crazy stuff. So go over to blueprintmcat.com today, register for that free account, get that free study planner tool. All right, today we have an awesome guest, Sam, who has recovered from so much, from living in a household with substance use disorder, from being homeless, to now having an acceptance to medical school. Sam's story is one that I know will touch you. Sam, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, sir. Happy to be here. I'm excited to chat with you. My favorite first question, when did you first realize you wanted to be a doctor? Man, you know, I wasn't a, never had like an aha moment or anything like that. I'd like to think that it was a lot of small things that went into a big decision, I think. I, you know, so probably just getting into my story right off the bat might be the easiest. I was, yeah. let's see, I was, so my parents were 16 when I was born. Okay. Um, so I almost got to walk at high school graduation twice, <laughs> just one, just once on my own. But, um, and soon after they were, or I was born, they both started struggling with this lifetime battle with opioid use disorder. Mm. And 
I got to experience a lot of things as a kid and as a young adult as well. One of the biggest things is I got to take care of my mom from a really young age. My dad wasn't around necessarily, you could say, but my mom definitely tried her hardest to be a single mom. And I got to take care of her a lot. You know, I probably started managing her medications for her a little bit when I was like 10, 12 years old, young kid. What, what does that look like as a 10-year-old managing medications? <laughs> as you can imagine, probably not very good. <laughs> I mean, I could probably barely read back then, let alone understand what a prescription even meant. But yeah, it was. Um, I'm very grateful for the way that I grew up. Um, it taught me to understand and appreciate the simple things in life and to not take for granted the opportunities that we have. You know, it taught me really early to approach these obstacles and challenges as, um, as opportunities for growth rather than setbacks. Mm -hmm. Um, so going back to your question, you know, I don't know. I think all of those little experiences taking care of my mom and both my grandparents suffered with, with, um, opioid use disorder and substance use disorder too. So really it was my whole family and, I just kind of got to take care of them yeah. and snowballed into, you know, seeking healthcare experience and clinical aspects and clinical realms and had more and more experiences and that just opened the door. Yeah. yeah. How did you know, right? Cause I think a very common pathway for, for kids in your situation, obviously number one is to follow in their footsteps and get into, to, uh, substance use disorders as well. Um, so we can potentially talk about how you stayed away from that path as, as you have. But I think one of the questions that comes to my mind is, okay, great. You were a caretaker. How does that translate into understanding that there's this whole world of professional caretakers out there, these doctors out there that can help people like your grandparents and like your mom? How, how did that translate into going, Oh, like there is a healthcare field out there where I could potentially help people like my parents and my grandparents. Yeah. So it's a great question. I had an experience and this is probably what you would call your, my seed moment, right? I mean, we talked a lot about just these little things, but I had an experience. I think I was about 10 years old, maybe 11. Hmm. And my mom actually overdosed and I was the one that found her and I got hmm. to call 911 and the emergency responders and everything. And um, I remember sitting in the hospital the next morning, and this was the very first time I think I'd ever met a doctor. Mm. And he took the time to sit down with me and talk with me as a little kid and explain the situation. And did I understand what was going on? Absolutely not. But I saw an adult caring for me in a way that you know, I really hadn't been cared for. And that came from the point of a physician. And I think that was really the time that sparked that thing. Like, oh man, I could make a big difference in people's lives. And then, you know, I had a lot of opportunities to be involved with people and as a medical assistant and different other clinical stuff. And I was volunteering in the NICU in the neonatal intensive care unit. And unfortunately, a lot of um, babies that are born 
have that dependence because of some opioid use disorder from the mother. Mm-hmm. And I had a really special experience where my, I feel like it came full circle for me where I got to sit down and talk to a mom that had been in the same situation as my mom and got to say, Hey, look, there is hope. Right. And I was with the physician that is amazing. Right. And reminded me a lot of that doctor who talked to me. So I think little experiences like that along a long road have built up over time to, to answer your question. Yeah. When do you think, like at what age roughly were you like, this is what I'm going to do? Oh man. Um, I was still probably in college. Okay. You know, so it still took a while. I still knew I like, I had an idea. Okay. But it's a long road. Yeah. So, so college, college was probably the confidence that you could do it, but you were thinking about it. Yeah. Okay. And it probably came around in a little bit of a backwards way. I struggled the first two years of school. Like so many people do. Yeah. Um, Why? What happened? Great question. I, you know, and this has been one of my favorite parts about applying to medical schools. I've had the opportunity to reflect and be a little introspective about the journey. Yeah. And I had a lot of distractions, you know, my relationship with my mom was, um, distracting to say the least. And you know what? I don't want to, I don't want that to have a negative connotation because at the end of the day, it was my priorities that I set Mm. and academics just wasn't at the top of my list as it should have been. Well, when, when you say distraction with your mom, do you, do you mean you're, you're still her caretaker in some respect? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. As, yeah. I don't want to, you know, out her. You know, yeah, but, no, don't, don't out her. But, but you, it sounds like you were prioritizing your family outs, yeah. other than schoolwork. And that doesn't make you a bad person. That actually makes yeah. you a, an amazing person. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, yeah. applying to medical school, that, that kind of hurts. Yeah, absolutely. And, it does hurt, but you know, it, um, the lessons that I was able to learn because of it yeah. make me such a better, you know, applicant or med student, future person, physician, person, person, yeah, person. Gen- that's it. Period. Well, a person in yeah. general. Exactly. So being able to struggle and learn is the most important part of this for me. And, yeah. um, and it's fun to look back, like I said, and think about the journey and appreciate it. So I got married. Yeah, but, but Sam, hold, hold on. Someone's listening to this going, yeah, you can say that now you have your acceptance, right? Everything is, is better now that you have an acceptance. Uh, spoiler alert, Sam, you have an acceptance. <laughs> um, but I'm sure in the moment, right, this thing called self-doubt is, is creeping up going, uh-oh, like this is not going to allow me to get to medical school. Did, did you have those thoughts of giving up on this theoretical dream of going to med school? I definitely have the thoughts and the doubt that would constantly creep in the back of my mind. Um, did I ever like waver? Probably. I don't know if, I mean, it's probably a better question for my wife than for me. <laughs> but, um, you know, I mean, I applied with my GPA, my cumulative GPA was a 3.05. My science was a 2.97. Mm. The only reason I know those numbers 
is because I questioned myself for so long because of them, right? Yeah. And a lot of the times, I mean, you know, they're only that low because of the first two years of college. After that, I think I got like a, you know, like a three nine over the past two and a half years or something like that. Fantastic. So you, you are you are the the pinnacle of what we talk about upward trend. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I like to think that um, I practiced a little bit what you preach, right? Mm. You got to have some faith in that. I did really well. I mean, I did well on the MCAT, right? Nothing yeah. crazy or anything like that, but good enough. Yeah. And um, yeah, looking, you're right. You know, looking back right now, it's easy to say that, but there were totally times of, of self-doubt. Mm -hmm. But understanding that that's part of my journey, that's part of the person that makes me, or that's part of the reason I am who I am. Of course. Is important. Yeah. You know? And I, I really do believe that it val it will value or provide value for me as a, as a person in the future. In, in the moment, thinking back to that time, who did you lean on for support? Who did you go to for advice, academic advice on, hey, I, I'm struggling here. What are the next steps? I, I still have this, this ultimate goal of becoming a physician. I think I understand that I'm, I've buried myself in a really big hole here for right now. What are these next steps? Who, who did you go to? What questions did you ask? Yeah, perfect. So I got married in July 2020. There was like 20 people that could come. Um, it, but when I met my wife and then when we eventually got married, I had sought this sort of stability my entire life. Um, I had a lot of relationships that were, you know, like the one with my mom that were just kind of draining, I guess you could say, and never really had a stable environment to come home to. Yeah. And that was just normal. You know, so many people have normal environments like that. And it's unfortunate. And so many people had it so much worse than <laughs> I did. Yeah. You know? the, the fun thing is lots of people who think they have a normal environment until they're grown adults and therapy makes them realize, oh, shoot, that wasn't normal. <laughs> yeah, that was not normal. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So when I finally met my wife and we had the opportunity to really sit back and say, hey, what what's important to us? Mm. Um, let's reestablish some lines here for our relationships. And it, we had a lot of really tough talks, you know, with my mom and, you know, I hope it doesn't come off as, as this negative thing, but we had a lot of really heartbreaking decisions that we had to make with my mom where we stopped. You set um, boundaries. You set boundaries, right? Yeah. And that's really tough to have those conversations. Yeah. Especially when you've done it for so long, you've cared for somebody for so long and, uh, you have to prioritize your family at a point. And my family at that point was my wife and I. Yeah. And through that, you know, we grew so much together, like we always do through hard things. Mm -hmm. And she has really become just the absolute rock in my life and makes me believe in myself when I never thought that I could. Right. I always knew that, you know, that I probably had the ability to go to medical school and stuff like that. But I always had the thought in the back of my head that I did. Yeah. She made me truly believe it. And she allowed me to dedicate myself to it and succeed academically and yeah. research and everything else that we get to do. So, and so Sam, basically what you're saying is everyone needs a perfect partner like your wife. 
<laughs> e easy done <laughs> I, I already signed the paper so the perfect one's off the table but everybody's got their shot the perfect one for them let's let's add that yeah. for them yeah. exactly exactly you know and i know so many people that don't you know and are single and and still thrive yeah and everybody you know we talk about it all the time everybody has their journey and everybody gets to take their own journey and learn their own way yeah i think that's incredibly important because I learn so much from the people that I'm around and they all have experiences that I never got to have. Mm. And I had experiences that they never got to have. So it's just a beautiful thing of coming together as a group. So, yeah, I, I like, I, I forget who, whose quote it is, right? You're, you're the average of the five people you surround yourself with. But I think it's Jim Rohn. Um, so obviously from a motivation support standpoint, it sounds like you found the perfect partner for yourself, but from an academic standpoint, unless your, your partner is a, a pre-health advisor, how are you getting the, the advice that you need to make sure that you can still do this? Like technically can still do this. Yeah. Yeah. So I took off the spring 2021 semester okay. after all those tough conversations with my mm -hmm. mom and and really just realigning our goals and stuff. I took off that semester because I knew and I recognized, hey, there's something that needs to change, um, whether it be my habits, my abilities, something needs to happen. And for those three months, I just learned how to learn. Um, I think a big thing that happens very commonly in undergraduate studies is there's this overarching um, fear of failure that fills the minds of students and we study because we want to avoid failing. Mm. I had a big transition in my mind where I care more about understanding than I do about failing. And I found joy in the fact that I can understand things. Mm. I had a big mentor. So I transferred schools too at that time, just as a fresh start. Mm. And one of the very first classes I took was from a professor that's been doing it for 38 years. Kind of, you know, that, that mindset. And I got to become really good friends with him. I'm T I've TA for him for three years now and a, a while now. And um, he helped me understand that we shouldn't be studying because of, fa of fear. Rather, we should be studying because of joy and because we love it. Mm -hmm. right? And the joy of understanding things. So for me, it wasn't necessarily the technicalities of studying. There are so many different ways to study. And you can learn anything on YouTube practically <laughs> how to study good, right? Um, and I did do that. You know, you, you, YouTube is a great resource for being efficient. But the biggest thing that happened was this shift in my mindset of studying for fear and studying for joy, hmm. you know, and being able to understand and, and yeah, and love it. Yeah. How, how does that show up? Like, like in real life? Cause someone's listening to this going, I, I think I understand the concept on a superficial level, but, but how does that actually show up on a day-to-day -day level when you have an organic chemistry test to study for and a biochemistry test to study for, and this little thing called the MCAT to study for, how, like, I, I don't know how many people are showing up with joy in their mind studying for the MCAT. How, how, can, how do we, how do we force that? Yeah. It's definitely not something you can force, right? It's a personal decision to be, 
to look at it that way. And I don't want to be understood wrong. Like me saying that I have a joy-based education now is not saying that I was stoked to study organic chemistry or stoked for the MCAT. It's more of a mentality shift of saying, I'm grateful that I'm, that I get to be here and I get to study the things that I do and understand the things that I do to do that from a happy perspective does not mean that you're happy all the time. It just means that you're grateful for where you're at. And I think it's probably a little easier for me to say that um, because I grew up the way that I did and I'm, you know, I'm a simple person and I'm stoked to be here just regardless. Yeah. Um, Yeah. How does that story, a story that you've been on, kid of of teenage parents, substance use disorder parents, grandparents, uh, I'm sure that there are struggles in life that come with that. Um, lots of insecurity in your life that, that we haven't talked about. Um, how does that translate into applying to medical school and trying to help medical schools understand who you are, why you're here and, and what you're going to potentially contribute to their class? Yeah, great question. So, and this kind of goes back to the, why I even applied and had faith to apply. Like what I suggest that people apply with my GPA I'm not an expert, but probably not, not. but the reason that I did is because I knew, and I know who I am Mm -hmm. and I've been introspective for a long time about what's important to me, what's important to my family, what's important to my wife. And I know, I knew that if I, I mean, it's easy for me to say now, right. But I felt in the moment that if I could just portray that of who I am, the person that I am, that everything would be okay. If I got in, great. If I didn't, then, you know, we get to try again. It's a beautiful thing. But as long as I was able to be true to who I am and be self-reflexive in in everything, um, I thought that that was the most important thing. so let, I, I want to ask you about this GPA thing, right? Because you just mentioned it. <laughs> would, would you recommend someone to apply with your GPA? And this is where like the beauty of that upward trend comes in handy because if lots of people go on to Student Doctor Network or Reddit and say, hey, my science GPA is a 297, should I apply? 99% of the people are going to say, no, absolutely. Are you crazy? Uh, 1% of the people, typically me or, or people who listen to me, will go, well, I don't, I don't know what a 2.97 means. What does the trends look like, right? And you said your last couple of years were, were much closer to a 3.9 than, than uh, we're not. And so that upward trend is, is obviously fantastic. You've shown resilience. You've shown that you are a good student when given the right situation. I think ultimately the question is, how do you know if that's ever enough, right? Yeah. Did, did you have any conversations about doing post-bac work, doing master's level work, or did you do any of that before you applied? No, I didn't do any of it before I applied. It was definitely in the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to be a pretty forward thinker now. And I mean, it was in my plans. Um, I was lucky. I mean, you know, I applied. This is like the most neurotic thing I think I've ever done in my entire life. But I was on a family vacation in Lake Powell on a houseboat. I've been on Lake Powell in a houseboat before. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> it's my a good vacation. My wife's family goes every year. It's one nice. of the great beauties of life. But 
I went out on the boat, like in the middle of the lake to get service to submit my application <laughs> on the first day. Because I mean, I had been thinking about this for so long. I mean, I prepared probably, I mean, I started writing stuff in like November of last year okay, and went through, you know, probably 12 personal statement drafts. Yeah. I think I've worked with every single person in your company in MSHQ, whether it be, you know, personal statement. I worked with Rachel for my personal statement and she's amazing. And I, with you, I mean, I worked with everybody, I yeah. think throughout the whole process, whether it's secondaries, Dina, I worked with her for interview in, interview prep and it was life-changing really. Um, now I forgot your question. <laughs> um, uh, masters and post back work. Why, yeah. what, what was the decision be like, you know what, I'm going to go for it. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. So I am in, a, in the middle of a gap year right now. And, and I would have been taking classes mm this spring semester had I not gotten accepted already. Okay. So because that's where I was going with this, because I applied early, I heard back pretty early. I think I had like five interview invites before I think September, the end of September. With with a 2.97 science GPA. Yeah. Are these MD schools, DO schools, a mix of both? I only applied MD. Okay. All right. Which is probably another mistake. No, no it's not a mistake. Yeah. That was your preference. I I had a pretty clear direction of what specialty I wanted to go into. And, okay. Uh, yeah. So that's the reason behind that. But yeah. And I ended up hearing back from my number one choice, my number one school, the on October, whatever, 16th, the first day they were making calls and that yeah. kind of changed everything, you know? And yeah. But yeah. if I hadn't, the plan was to take classes in the spring. Absolutely. So let's, let's talk about, the application process. How many schools did you apply to? Not counting Texas because Texas is Texas. Um, I think 37. You applied to a lot of schools. 36, 37. I applied to a lot. Okay. You applied to a lot of schools. You worked with our team at Medical School HQ, our advising team. That's a lot of money. Yeah. How did you do that? So I qualified for the fee assistant, the yep. AMC F fee FAP. Yeah. If I didn't do that, then there's no way I would have been able to, to apply to that many schools. Okay. Um, so that definitely helped, but I have a sugar mama and my wife. <laughs> Even <laughs> yeah. more of a perfect partner. I know, right? <laughs> she works her butt off and wow. I work, you know, three jobs. So we just make it work. Okay. It's not easy, but you know, yeah. we make it work and it's a beautiful thing. So yeah. That's how. I mean, All it was right. still expensive. We yeah. still have to pay for a bunch of stuff. So okay, um, I, I'll, I'll get back to kind of your experience working with us. I, I'd love to hear more about that. But I, I want to hear about the process of applying. So obviously, applying to medical school, you apply early on. You get your first interview invite. What what was that? like in terms of just joy and happiness what what was that process was it a phone call was it an email it was an email okay. i got the i got the invite early in the morning like seven o'clock because it was an east coast school okay. and i'm not in the east coast i'm in the intermountain west so i like saw my email check my email and uh, i i limited myself that i would only check because i have like a separate email for applications so 
I only checked that email twice a day because I did not, I do not want to be on my phone, you know, every second. And that's the, the uh, tendency to check your phone so much. So I limited myself to checking it two times a day, once in the morning, one, once before bed. And I checked it and like, I've never gotten out of bed that fast. <laughs> my wife was already at work. So I called her and I was like screaming and so stoked. And it was one of my top three choices that I wanted to go to. And it wow. was, it was cool. And then the next day I got my top choice in bite. And yeah. Awesome. So when it comes to your imposter syndrome, potentially um, with having a low GPA and going on these interviews, what, what came up in interviews to be like, Hey, what's going on with this GPA here? Did, were there any questions about that? They were all my interviews have been closed. Oh, all right. Um, obviously I was prepared to talk about it because mm. I've been talking about it for two and a half years. So, but, um, yeah, if it would have come up, you know, my story is my story and mm. it's a significant part of it. I wouldn't be as a successful student now, if I hadn't have struggled for the yeah. first year, two years, I am the student I am now because of that. Yeah. And that's important. You, you mentioned, I think maybe before we recorded, um, that doing some mock interviews, uh, with our team, specifically Dina was, was life-changing. What, what was it about mock interviews that you think prepared you to go and tell your story and, and get some phenomenal feedback from your interviewers? So I was maybe a little, <laughs> like, I was like, you know what? Like, I feel like I'm okay talking to people. and. And I was like, you know, I should probably try it though. Everybody gets scared of the MMIs. And I was like, I don't even know what they are. I read your book about them and I read your book about interviews and stuff and, it, and read about it. And I don't like the framework mentality, I guess you could call it of yep. saying like, this is it that I'm going to go A, B, C, and D, right? I like to just talk. Mm -hmm. And I felt that I was going to be good at that. The first time I met with Dina, train wreck <laughs> absolute train wreck i mean like the traditional interviews where it's just a conversation it was okay mm. um because i can tell my story and talk about it but the mmi she literally gave me like a she would give me a scenario and i was just fumbling over my words and had no idea what to say and I realized that it has nothing to do with necessarily thinking in a framework. Mm -hmm. Rather, it has to do with being introspective once again mm -hmm. and saying, why do I care about this scenario? What's mm -hmm. important to me? Yep. And then explaining how you feel. Yeah. Um, I think it's incredibly important to just use that opportunity to explain who you are. Yeah. They say there's no right and wrong answers and I think there is a wrong answer. If you don't explain who you are by your answer, you know, I don't think that's a good answer. It yeah. might not be a wrong answer, but it's not <laughs> good do. Yeah, I like that. What, what I tell students all the time is like, what would you do in real life, right? Obviously, this is a very forced scenario, but what would you do in real life if you were faced with this, right? It forces you to go, well, who am I and what would I do in this situation? Yeah, yeah, and it was cool. I think um, after... Cause I had three interviews that they all involved MMIs mm. <laughs> after like the 10th scenario. I was like, man, these are actually kind of fun. They're fun. Yeah. They make you think about stuff that I had never thought of in my life. And it's cool. It really is cool. And it, 
I think it's also cool that the school can show you a little bit about what's important to them by the questions they ask in mm -hmm. the MMI. And yeah, I really, it was a fun opportunity actually. Yeah. What was the most stressful part of the application process for you? The most stressful part besides waiting, <laughs> which is probably the worst part for everybody. Yeah. Um, being able to, I love writing in general, and I spent a lot of time writing, you know, I've kept a journal for a long time and I think that helped a lot, but I think I became a little bit too concerned about saying things in the right way. Um, so I had to take a step back and say, look, it's okay to write something, how you actually feel and care about that more than how it's going to be perceived. Because especially there's a lot of aspects about my story and the way I grew up that can come off the wrong way. Um, growing up that way, and I never wanted it to be a negative connotation to it, right? But that's just kind of naturally, there is some negativity to the way I grew up. Mm -hmm. And that's just how it is. And I think that was probably one of the most stressful things is how do I portray this in a way that I am grateful for it? Mm -hmm. And I use it to my advantage every single day rather than, oh, poor me. Yeah. What was it like to get that first acceptance? Oh, it was, I still think I'm in shock, honestly. Yeah. It was cool because the dean called me. It was just so personal. You know, he, they talked about why, you know, the conversation that happened in the admissions committee and what things helped me get in. And it was that moment where all of those doubts in the back of my mind, of, oh, I've got a low GPA. Who knows if they're going to let me in with my story. All of those things melted away. And I'm not a, I'm not really an emotional person per se. Like I never cry or anything like that. But I was overcome with joy and relief and calling my wife and just babbling like a baby. And like, I can't even get words out because I'm so excited. Yeah. Excited and relieved. And I think another part of it was, is I was so excited that it was a, it's an accomplishment for an entire team. There's no one person that can get into medical school alone. Yeah. My wife has been just as instrumental in it as I am. And my family, you know, I was adopted when I was 16 by an aunt and uncle mm. and they had two daughters and they brought me in as if I was their son and they've taught me and helped me so much. And it's an accomplishment for them, you know, and yeah it was just so overwhelming being able to call everybody and say, Hey, we got in. Right. And it's so heartwarming. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. How many acceptances? One so far. Just one. It's just one. It's all it takes. Just one. It's all we need. Awesome. Yeah. Because it's like my top choice. It'll be really hard to get me away from. Okay. Here, I um, I actually turned down two interviews and then, yeah, just waiting to hear back. It's going to be tough. <laughs> yeah. What, what in, in your mind, thinking about it, right? If this is your top choice school, if another school came to you with an acceptance, what would it take to, to pull you away? Is it a financial decision at that point? Not necessarily a financial decision. Um, 
there's just some stuff that like even financially, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how this choice would be beaten. Honestly, my wife, you know, we get a little bit of a discount on tuition because my wife works oh, nice. um, at the medical center. So hard to beat that. And I think I know I went to undergrad at the school too, for, I finished my undergrad here and I've been involved. I've worked at the hospital for two plus years, three years. And mm. The environment is just so hard to beat. And there's so many people there that are willing to help. And, you know, that's another reason why I was confident, not confident, but another reason why I decided to apply is I felt that the right school for me will see the person that I am, Mm. you know, they'll see past the red flags or the downfalls in my application and see the person that I am. And it happened, you know, and it's surreal just to be where I'm at right now. It really is. For the student listening right now who is doubting themselves because of their GPA or MCAT score or just life situation that they don't know if they can get out of it, what what words of wisdom do you have for them? <laughs> oh, man, wisdom's a tough word. But, um, <sighs> having times like that is an opportunity. It is not a setback. It is an opportunity to be confident and to reinvigorate your understanding of what the path right and your path and your special path i think having some self-reflection is probably the most important thing that i could say um at like that was probably the most important thing for me that changed my life educationally um and in every other aspect too if you're self-reflexive and say hey this is why i'm doing it this is why it's important to me. This is why I want to be a doctor. This is what, this is what I'm going to write my personal statement about. You know, this is why, as long as you can stay true to your why, Mm -hmm. everything else kind of seems to fall into place. Does that mean that that's going to happen on your timeline, your ideal timeline? Absolutely not. You know, it didn't happen on my timeline and it still, you know, might not happen on my timeline, my ideal timeline, but I know who I am. And I'm confident in who I am. And I am that way because I've been self-reflexive and grateful. Mm. You know, I'm grateful that I had that opportunity. So that's the biggest piece of advice I would give is to be self-reflexive and be grateful for the opportunities that you have. All right, there you have it. That was Sam talking about his journey to medical school. An amazing story of overcoming resilience of determination and now on his way to medical school to hopefully impact the lives of others in the future. I hope this episode touched you in a way to continue to motivate you on your journey to overcome whatever it is you're facing. If you wanna be a physician, you can do this. If you're looking for some one-on-one help, Go over to medicalschoolhq.net. That's what we do day in and day out that supports all of this amazing free content that we give you. Medicalschoolhq.net. Check out all of our advising services. We help with mock interviews and essay prep and all of that good stuff. Don't forget to check out blueprintmcat.com as well. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years.
This is MedEd Media.